0: Hi everybody welcome back to the Fundamentalists podcast my name is elliot morgan and despite some technical difficulties we are back in action folks in this wonderful holiday season and what better time than now to talk about everyone's favorite subject folks we're talking freudian death drive uh, this is one of my favorite topics in all of the topics it's one of my favorite drives uh, I like Death Drive. <laughs> I like the one made by Nicholas Winding Refn. I'm a big fan of drives in general. I find they help clear the mind, especially when you're driving along the highway and you have that intrusive thought that says something like, what if I were to just swerve into oncoming traffic and get rid of all of this right now um, and cause a scene? Uh, I don't have those very often, but every now and then they they creep up. And, you know, I, I appreciate too, Pete, thanks for asking what... Um, <clears throat> James Hillman says, of course, in Revisioning Psychology, you'll recall on page uh, 19, Freud's concepts such as libido and mm-hmm. especially as Eros, Thanatos, and Oedipus are indeed ancient images explicitly drawn from a long history of mythological personification. Others of his terms, projection, sublimation, condensation, once belonged to the poetics of alchemy. Freud himself wrote, the theory of instincts, as it were, is our mythology. The instincts are mythical beings, superb in their indefiniteness. And Freud's id, quote, under the domination of the mute but powerful death instincts, may be compared, as I have done elsewhere in some detail, with the underworld of invisible Hades. The death drive, that which drags you into the pits of hell, is our topic as we usher in (laughs) everyone's jolliest... Time of year, Pete. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. All the better for talking to you. I'm glad we got the tech stuff sorted. I think it's working this time. I know we've had a it feels few a lot better.
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like I need a refund from the pre the the program. I will leave unmentioned.
1: Yes, yes. Now we're using Zoom, which seems to be very uh, good and stable. Who knew? Yeah. Well, this was my idea to do Death Drive. Um, so, and I, I to give you a bit of background. The reason why I said it is because I'm actually writing about death drive in a book that I'm currently working on, and nice. I've been trying to. I think it's basically it's Freud's I think most controversial idea and uh, most one of, and potentially most difficult to understand, and um, the reason why a lot of people reject Freud is precisely this concept, Um, so I thought that would be quite an interesting one to uh, begin to take apart. Um, So will I start and see where we get to?
0: I would love if you did, and I would also like if I can throw in a request beforehand Mm -hmm. situating the death drive in the overall history of Freud's stock, because didn't it come later?
1: It's basically, I mean, it's kind of, it's in 1920, he publishes Beyond the Pleasure Principle, And this is this kind of splits Freud in two. Some people and I would be one of them would say that this is when Freud becomes Freud. Yeah, this is this is this is before this Freud is not Freud. Freud is a therapist. He's a psychologist. He's a neurologist. But the 1920 with this seminal work, he brings the theory of death drive to the world and. You could almost say this is the point when Freud becomes not a therapist (laughs) because he basically starts to postulate that there's a dimension to human beings that don't want to be healed, that do want to be uh, well, that do want to be healthy. Um, And So, yeah, so basically this is the concept, the BC and the AD of Freud,
0: I would say. Beautiful. BC and AD. I believe you mean BCE and CE, but we won't get into the semantics. Thank you very much. I understand that you're... Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's yes. okay. It's all right.
1: <laughs> Thank you for. I'm thinking of the band ACDC. You know so. how? Yeah, <laughs> AC. I believe you <laughs> meant ACDC. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> MXPX. Um,
1: yeah. So here's, I mean, I guess before 1920, uh, Freud was pretty much a therapist of sorts, and he he his understanding of what's called the pleasure principle pre 1920 was the idea that we desire to uh, in the words of a utilitarian maximize our pleasure we want to minimize our pain uh, and maybe healing the mind is similar to healing a broken arm the arm wants to heal if you just give it the right conditions it will get better yeah, and sure. you know so, so freud is looking at you know how do we help people work through traumas and talk about things free association all all very good stuff and then in beyond the pleasure principle he starts to wonder why some people revisit their suffering and seem to keep coming back to their pain and this have almost a self destructive dimension and he began to try to theorize what that is and where it comes from and how you deal with it so yeah so this is where like Rip. this is where freud is is oh, apart from counseling Regular therapy, life coaching, um, even a lot of psychoanalysis uh, does not go in the direction of death drive. Like even a lot of psychoanalysts reject death drive, um, uh, you know, or minimize. What is so it.
0: controversial about? What's the why? Why is it that like? Um, I mean, if anything, I would have thought that the controversial stuff with Freud would have been the whole edible thing, more so than the death thing. And I feel like the death drive, and maybe this is more of a tell than anything. It's like an intuitively true thing like i'm all like i feel like we can all relate to doing things that we know are against our best interests or maybe we can't maybe people are and maybe cuz i guess that's the evolutionary psychological thing right where everything's fight or flight everything is to preserve your your survival whereas the death drive is basically just saying no not everything is about your survival some things are about the opposite
1: yes and and even more fundamentally freud says uh, and this is begins the theory of death drive is that actually the fundamental drive is not to life, but is to death, that actually that is what lies at the heart of everything. So and the reason why that's so controversial is because on the surface, it goes against everything we know, Especially like you think of Darwinian theory uh, and Darwin, obviously incredibly important theorist is like we think of the life instincts that that there is this drive to life and to reproduction to kind of survival, and and Freud saying that, no, 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 Um, actually, most fundamentally of all, we have a drive towards death. And so what happens is most people try to fit Freud within Darwin. What I want to argue today, we'll chat about is I think we have to situate Darwin inside Freud. So what most people do is they go, right, we have to take the Freudian ideas, but it has to fit within a darwinian sense that actually we want our survival we want what's best we want to maximize our pleasure we want to survive um and so that's what evolutionary psychology is evolutionary psychology in its most basic form is is, is basically making freud fit darwin but i think it's actually much more interesting to fit darwin who's very brilliant but fit darwin within freud um okay. so interesting. I, yeah so interesting. I'll, I'll, yeah it's fascinating I mean, absolutely fascinating so the i think i could make it on i think i can make a, a reasonable case for it here i'll give you a five minute um case for death drive see what you great. think i mean i know you'll like death drive death um, drive as
0: in you this is where you're going to try to put freud into darwin or for darwin. darwin into
1: freud this is where I'm like gonna try a to russian
0: put... nesting doll like you're going to yes. take the death okay great not like because, in a okay
1: yeah because we have to That's understand a drive.
0: what's that not a sexual thing. It, that would be a different drive. Got it. It's like a Russian nesting doll.
1: Well, the sexual drive I want to argue is, Oh no.
0: <laughs> I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have said anything about I, I shouldn't talking about Freud. I'm not, you can't say like, Oh, I didn't mean to say sex. I, I know. I know. I know. I know. I you don't have to like, actually, no, it
1: is. <laughs> oh yeah. It's everything sexual right. in Freud. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, I, the way I think of it is um, I, The the law of entropy, the second law of thermodynamics, there actually is a physical law that says that everything tends towards uh, entropy and the dissolution of excitation and tension. So Freud's name for that in terms of organic life is death drive. So he actually starts by saying that what life wants to do is it wants to return to death, that everything wants to return to a minimal state of excitation and a minimal state of tension. And he says, like something happened in, in the universe that created an excitation that we can call life. So this was like, uh, Sapanchik calls it the nightmare of non-be or the nightmare of matter. We are this this explosion of tension and excitation that is life, and basically what it wants to do is and wants not in a sense of want, but what it will tend towards is tend toward dissipation. So. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step, is that Freud says, listen, you know, that's that's an ironclad law. And then he basically argues, um, and I'm truncating because he was thinking about lots of things, but uh, that how death drive manifests within conscious life, like dogs and cats and all of that, is the pleasure principle. So before the death drive, the pleasure principle was the idea that we want to maximize our gratification and our satisfaction. But then Freud says, well, actually the pleasure principle isn't opposed to the death drive. The pleasure principle is a manifestation of the death drive, because what the pleasure principle wants to do is it wants to minimize excitation and tension within living organisms. So a dog will want to run to get rid of excess energy, you know, might want to eat in order to get rid of the pain of hunger. And so in a sense, the pleasure principle is in a way trying to get living organisms to have a, as little tension, a little excitation as possible so that we can just relax and sleep. And so that's a pleasure principle. And then he brings in the reality principle. And the reality principle was the idea that every time you seek pleasure in the world, something gets in the way. You know, you might want to eat something another another animal but that animal doesn't want to get eaten and real the reality principle is your confrontation with reality but it's internalized so you internalize this reality principle and that's called the superego and again this is the clever thing about freud is he kind of says that's just another form of the death drive at the level of self-consciousness so you've got entropy at the level of matter you've got death drive at the level of organic life you've got pleasure principle at the level of conscious life and you've got reality principle at self-conscious life. Cause what what the reality principle does is that's the ego self consciousness is consciousness of consciousness. So you're conscious of yourself. You believe you're an
0: object. So you're the reality was like the superego.
1: Well, yes, that is true. And this is where it gets a bit interesting. So what I would say is so when you're self-conscious, you start to develop an ego and then when you start, to, what I says when you start to develop the ego, you start to internalize reality, and that becomes a superego. So yes, it okay. kind of, it almost comes out of the ego, the superego kind of, but but you're right, because in one sense, uh, this is where it gets complicated, is uh, you've got the superego reality principle, you've got the id, pleasure principle. The id just wants to have sex with somebody, and the superego says, well, you should ask first, right? And so that's... Um, yeah, and then the ego comes in to manage the conflict between the two.
0: Isn't this also? He didn't Freud move away from like the the tripartite, whatever it was, structural model, and then drive theory was like his the evolution of the, the id, ego, super ego. Didn't he leave a lot of the id, ego, super ego stuff behind as he went on?
1: Yeah, yeah. It
0: instead of I think I thought he defined it through drives and not through um the kind of like one part is the ego one part is the superhero one part is it or whatever that but that's
1: absolutely true that's absolutely true now what i would say is kind of they he kind of had about five different models that he kind of went through and so they do build on each other but you're absolutely right that the thing about the death drive which becomes really interesting is it's um it kind of brings everything together because even freud at first was having these conflicts between the life drives and the death drive and there's this conflict and then he began to see that everything was drive related
0: um yeah
1: yeah and so yeah so
0: um so how is this fitting what i still don't get how this is different necessarily from freud going into darwin except you're saying because you're embracing the the drive theory part whereas most people don't embrace the drive theory when they're doing the evolutionary and the freudian together
1: Yes, because the death drive for most people doesn't make sense. Except the only way it can make sense is if you if you do something destructive, it's for a reason. So even in movies now, the the baddie always has to have a reason for being bad. Right? There's no such there's no such thing as um just kind of evil. <laughs> there's a, there's yeah. no it has to be economic. It has to have a value, and that's an ancient idea that goes way back to I think know Augustine I think has a version of that where basically we all want to do the good and so like Thanatos or whatever is trying to do something good. So evil is a perversion of the good. It's it's but it's still trying to do the good. You just um in a perverse way. Yeah but Freud interestingly is arguing for a type of uh pure destruction that does not have anything to gain. And that's again very controversial
0: does Freud think that the death drive is universal across all animals across all organic because yeah. you said organic i'm like but what would be the death because it seems like that's a much different situation in a in a non-reflective non-self-conscious dog than in a reflective human
1: yeah and that's why i think it always levels up in fact this is where the death drive enters into I see. A, a contradiction and it, and this is where then we can understand sex so sex this is i think this is the way to understand sexual drives oh, but thank God. so basically yeah so basically uh like a cell um has death drive in the sense that cellular life will tend towards dissipation right and as long as it survives long enough to reproduce whatever that's fine but eventually everything dies everything goes back okay, to yeah. whatever but you're right that, that that's us death drive at a cellular level when it comes to conscious animals, I see they that. have pleasure principle. Yeah. But, but whereas a cell doesn't have pleasure principle, it, it's not looking for pleasure. It's just obeying the law of entropy.
0: Yeah. 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 That's just the way it, it is. Just is. Yeah. Yes. It's like, a, I think the term drive, I think, implies a, um, a consciousness to it. Because, Well, an unconsciousness, I guess. But it's still yeah. like a, you're saying on a cellular level, like the cell itself from its perspective is headed toward death
1: yes entropy yes and yeah life is a detour between two deaths that's kind of freud's notion of life it's like a detour within death
0: pete i have gotten um so i started working out again in uh for the first time in a very long time and you know when i do this sometimes i will become like a little obsessive or um very like way into it for a brief period of time and then i'll fall out of it for like a year and i got really into this thing i've never gotten into pete it's called supplements have you heard of these things
1: oh yeah wow so you're doing supplements
0: i'm doing supplements and not only that pete check this thing out i've talked about this on the valley cast for a second this is my water bottle that i got Uh i'm i'm becoming a what's called a hydro homie and i am trying to get down like three of these two or three a day basically and I am succeeding and I am peeing nonstop and I feel so good and mm. so much more energetic. I'm sleeping better. This is just you know, I've been doing it for a little over a week now. God, it's so boring. And it's just like, I'm just <laughs> drinking this and I just want to kill my, I just want to <laughs> blow my brains out. Pete, I just want to drive off. I want to tumble down this Hill and let a car just run me over, but um, feels great.
1: Yeah. Well, it's better than smoking because your death drive is usually smoking.
0: <laughs> yeah, I gave that up a long time ago, except for the smoke that is in um, marijuana. I don't know if you've heard of that. Ah, yes, I've heard before. of that. Yeah. But um, yeah, the death drive stuff is so fun because that's like I was thinking about the, what motivated me to start actually exercising and was also just seeing a lack of health around and being like i'm gonna be i want to be healthy and i want to live longer and i was eating so unhealthily like like garbage and still kind of can't it's holidays whatever but like it was um it got to a point where it was a comical uh like death drive thing and it was also a thing of like i want to at least try to not be self-destructive but the awareness of being self-destructive does not negate the desire to be self-destructive, or the tendency or the habit. And it turns out that it takes a lot of time for me to like decouple from those habits. I have to like be like, no, I don't want the grilled cheese. I want just like a regular, you know, bologna sandwich. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. Oh yeah. Like I, I've kind of said this to you know some vegetarian friends, where we go like, well, whenever you say that some meat is cruelty-free, some people that's precisely why they like the meat because of there's cruelty you know like like the, or if you try and do smoking without the the, the, de- the death you go like well that's the favorite ingredient no not consciously but weirdly unconsciously the, our favorite ingredient and something like smoking as a cigarette can yeah. be the death itself um
0: i was at a, a friend's house a couple of weeks ago and we were watching a football game and they gave me a beer and i was drinking it and it was like an ipa and it was so good and i was like what kind of what is this what, what? and then i was like wait a minute I was like, "This is non-alcoholic," and they were like, "Yeah, there's no there's no alcohol in that." I was like, "Oh, that explains it." And I noticed I had only drank like half of it, like I had only Uh drank, and it had been like you know thirty minutes or something. And I was like, "Oh, I wonder if like I somehow knew that this wasn't like a uh," (laughs) or maybe I was just being very cautious." But I was like, "Man, now that I know that it doesn't have that it's non-alcoholic, I'm like, all right, it's fine, I guess."
1: Yes, you got no death and no destruction.
0: Yeah, nothing. Boring. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I know. Um, And the thing about the death drive is in a way, it's always happens behind your back. This is why it's not noticeable because consciously, we're always wanting that like consciousness is under the, under the authority of the pleasure principle. So generally we're always exercising consciously to be healthy. But if you're over exercising to the point that you're damaging your body, consciously you're trying to stay healthy and stay fit. But but the destructive dimension is making its presence felt
0: dude that's the i I, this wormhole that i fell down that was i knew there was a point to what i was bringing up not just being a doofus but the um the supplement world led me down this wormhole of people who are doing like biohacking and like these these people who are rich who are trying to reverse age mm-hmm. their organs there's a dude who gets blood transfusions from his 17 year old son so that he can have the the blood of youth coursing through his his uh, veins and he looks odd he's an odd looking gentleman and mm-hmm. you can tell he looks like uh almost like uh my brother described it as odo from deep space nine i don't know if you remember that character Obviously, but,
1: yes so yeah <laughs>
0: like this and this guy's obsessed like he's gonna live forever he wants this like immortality and i'm like that looks like a stressful way to live it looks like he's in some way like winding himself up so taut and so tight when you're like a vacuum sealed person that he's just going to explode one day and i'm like that seems like there's some kind of death drive thing going on there but i don't know i don't know the guy
1: yeah and that's where it all mixes yeah and this is why it's very hard to differentiate but this gets to the point of if if this is correct right if we have this death drive this drive for entropy and even pleasure principle is really just to relieve excitation and stress so that we can die naturally of old age so we don't die from some traumatic thing but we die just kind of like we expire then there's there's a big question mark which is what is this obsessive Drive for life, like the guy you're talking about. That's what Prometheus was all about, which I really mm-hmm. loved yeah. as a movie. Um, we're basically oh, every yeah. oh the movie oh yeah oh yeah. I don't know the mythology as well, so you you know the mythology. I'm thinking of the movie. Um, but the main guy, Whalen, um, he wants to live forever, and that's what
0: yeah
1: you know sends the space mission to find the engineers to try to get eternal life. But all of the fit characters on the spaceship are driven by some excitation, one of its knowledge, some of its money, some of its reputation. Obviously, the main character is for more life. So how does Freud explain that in the myth? If everything is death drive, if there is this entropy entropy that's that's part of life, then what is this drive that we have for, for eternal life and for excitation? And that's what he calls the sexual drive. He calls the sexual drive... The drive that directly enjoys excitation and tension and, uh, you know, so this kind of thing. And that arises for Freud between, so whenever you have the pleasure principle and the reality principle and they fight, so I use the example if you want to sleep with somebody, but, you know, you, you have to ask them and they say, they say no, right? So that's the reality principle. You can't sleep with the person, but you want to then you have to have a compromise formation, which is maybe where you fantasize about sleeping with them, right? So yeah, and that's a compromise mm-hmm. formation that gives you a substitute satisfaction. And what starts to happen is we start to desire uh, the prohibition itself. We start to enjoy frustration itself. there, And we weirdly, frustration is what gets in the way of us having something the sexual drives are whenever you directly enjoy frustration and prohibition itself and this erupts out of the death drive the sex and so the sexual drive is like this um uh this drive for yeah for frustration that's it but for frustration for prohibition for uh for for deferment of pleasure That's where sexual drives. And and that's why Freud says sexuality is in everything because he says that drive is in everything in every part of our life. When you go to a restaurant, if you go to a tasting menu where it's not about eating food just to get fuel, but it's about just tasting the food and enjoying the food in and of itself. Freud would say that's sexual. It's sexual because you're kind of enjoying not few food is just the thing you do to get fuel for your body but now you're directly enjoying the, yeah. the obstacle, you know, the, the thing that that's supposedly the, the, the delivery mechanism you're enjoying that directly.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um. When I was in, um, this is to bring it back down and not mention this again, but like, I hate working out when I haven't done it in a while because I'm so much weaker and I, I get in the past, I've gotten really frustrated at that uh, moment where I go, Oh, I literally can't, this is too heavy like and this didn't used to be too heavy and now it's too heavy and I get very like angry and then the only thing that gets me past that is I then go um I just have to just do that I have to learn to enjoy the fact that I can't lift it and then I have to move past it and be like okay I now know that I failed and I it's a little like tiny death and it's a little tiny defeat and then I, when I'm done, I feel nice about it, but I have to go until, and if I don't go to like a fail, then I feel at the end of it, like, nah, you know, I kind of didn't do as, as, it wasn't as enjoyable. I have to get to the point where it's like, okay, there's that, there's that limit. And that's usually around two or three pounds yes so
1: (laughs) you know yeah uh, that that this is maybe the cure as well like i i this is the this is why i like lacan by the way because lacan is a theorist of the death drive is that do you know that experiment they do with kids where they say to a kid you can have one marshmallow now or you can wait for an hour and you can have two marshmallows, right? And supposedly this is a test of how intelligent a child is, right? The dummy kids take the one marshmallow immediately and the smart kids are calculating and they know there's a privation for an hour, but after the privation, mm-hmm. they get two uh, uh, marshmallows. But what, what nobody talks about in this experiment is what about a kid who just enjoys the privation itself? Right. Everyone thinks that you either want one marshmallow or you want to wait to get two marshmallows. But the Freudian death drive is that there is a way in which sometimes we just enjoy the privation itself. And, and, and if that's true, and if the death drive is true, and that in other words, we're all have a destructive dimension, then the cure, and this is why Freud isn't in inverted as a therapist. The cure is more f- learning to enjoy and manage your destructiveness, rather than try to overcome it, try to get rid of it. In a strange way, it's it's realizing that 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 is a is a fundamental dimension of who you are, and so failing to be good at weights, you, you can directly enjoy that. Well, That's nailing the cure. Nailing.
0: <laughs> yes. oh man and the ones you have to do things with your legs that's the i'm a master of doing that horribly falling over um i like all i mean now the the controversy of the death drive that uh i mean i didn't know that about psychoanalysts some psychoanalysts not being into the death drive it seems so central Mm to freud's thought that's kind of wild um in everyday life do you Do you see then the death drive as fu- a fundament of basically everything? like if is there any getting away from it, or is it some one of those things that only appears in extreme moments in your life?
1: i I would say that it is in in everything. and th- this is, and by the way, I only understood this very recently. Um, whenever Freud says sexuality, and which is a big difference between F- Freud and Jung, you know, but to give the defense of Freud here for a second is, you know, Freud said, like, the sexual drives are kind of permeate everything. Um, uh, one way of understanding that, uh, from a Lacanian perspective, um, and it actually connects sex and sin, actually, because if sin, the word sin means lack, right? Sin means like a lack of something, right? Um, and the Calvinists, they talk about total depravity, which means that not that humans are totally depraved, but that sin touches every part of the human condition. So it's there's no part of the human condition that isn't infused with sin. This is similar to Freud. Freud says that the sexual drive, uh, or and more Lacan, but Freud Lacan, the sexual drive, it revolves around not having, it revolves around a lack. And that revolving around a lack impacts every dimension of our lives. So for example, language, the fact that we can't say exactly what we want to say generates speech. Uh, think yeah. of lingerie in terms of sexuality. You know what makes lingerie attractive is, in a sense, it creates a barrier between you and the body. So, um, or why we go on dates, date night, go for a meal. We have to, it's it's sexual because it's kind of deferring the sexual act. It's actually the deferral that makes it sexual. So, I would argue that. Sexuality is diffused throughout everything because to be human, there is this dimension in which not having is always there somewhere. So desire is at the level of consciousness. You desire a cup of coffee, so you get the cup of coffee. But drive is related to the enjoyment of not drinking coffee. Um, and they're both, I would say, yes, always always going on.
0: Um. Folks at home, you can now open up your advent calendar mm-hmm. um, for Pete, just bringing up the word lack. Uh, uh, I, we yeah. are about half an hour in, uh, I believe, right now. And so please enjoy whatever little treat you have for yourself. Um, <laughs> the uh, it is it, I mean, it does go classically Freudian. It goes back to the it's the it is. Sexual and then his death. And you can see why people have a hard time with the guy. But it I was thinking about that. I was talking about this in um therapy with my therapist, and uh talking about Freud and Jung and all these other folks that I was um reading. I love Hillman, and it was just sort of these guys come up with these crazy nutty ideas, and they're so fun and rich when you get into them but it's explaining it is like any of them it's like explaining absolute insanity of like well you (laughs) dreamed of a the uh, trunk and that trunk is a vagina it's your mom's vagina that chest that you uh have in the dream and the long hallway that's also (laughs) that's also a vagina and also the thing it's it's like people hear that and they're they immediately uh turn it off but it's such an unfortunate thing because it's so fascinating to me and these guys are just they they're the boldness the um also like just they they're doing this later in life i mean i feel like both freud and jung just kept going and going and going and writing all this stuff well into their older years and i go like how do you just the sheer bravery of being like I'm going to present this. I'm sure there's a lot of ego involved in both of them. but, um, yeah, wild stuff,
1: yeah. And you know, the age thing's interesting because Lacan as well, like whenever he started to do his seminars, he was actually quite old. I can't remember yeah. what age he was. I don't want to say fifty necessarily, but like, all of these guys are coming up with their best stuff when they're older. And I think it's that's the difference between philosophy and say mathematics where, you're doing your best stuff when you're young, if you're a mathematician or if you're, you know, an athlete or a chess player, youth is on your side. But these ideas, and I know myself, I've been studying these ideas since I was 20. And it it honestly only feels like in the last 10 years that I've begun to grasp them at a deeper level. I think it just takes that amount of time. And these guys like Jung and Freud, as you say, and Lacan, they're actually doing their best work when they're, you know, a yeah. lot older
0: and i think you we've known each other for quite a few years so it makes sense that my influence on you has allowed you to better understand these yes things.
1: and i appreciate that you know you're yeah. welcome
0: um yeah. i hope it's the same for comedy um do you want to hear yeah. a joke pete
1: i really do yes
0: you heard the one about the uh the frog that needed a loan nope um, Well, there's a frog that needed a loan, so he goes to the bank and he talks to the teller. The teller has a little name tag, Whack, or something. This is Whack. And he uh, he says, I need a loan. And the teller says, I can't give you a loan. You're a frog. And the frog says, Noel, I, I, I need a loan. I came here to the bank and I, I want you to give me a loan. And she says, well, I don't think I can do that. What's, what's your name? And he says, Kermit. And the teller says, "You're not Kermit the Frog," and the frog says, "No, no, 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 no. I'm not that Kermit. I was named after Kermit. My dad is Mick Jagger, and uh, Mick Jagger, my dad, had sex with a um, a frog, and I'm their I'm their child, and they named me after after Kermit. So I would now like a loan, please." And the teller says, "Well." i don't i don't think i can i can give you i don't think you have any any credit uh do you have any collateral and the frog says yes and he takes out this shiny porcelain pink elephant this little tiny pink elephant and he hands it over he says there's my collateral I would like my lily pad now. Please give me a loan. And the teller says, look, I'll see what I can do. I'm going to go talk to the bank manager. And so the teller gets up, she goes to the bank manager and she says, listen, we got a frog out there who says his name Kermit and he wants a loan and he gave me this thing and he, and she hands it to the bank manager and the bank manager looks at it for a second. And she says, what is that? And he, he looks at it and he, he gives it back to her and he says, that's a knick-knack, patty, whack. Give the frog alone. His dad is a rolling stone. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thanks. That's a um, that's a Norm McDonald joke. Because when you <laughs> said things, people's best work when it gets later in life. I was reading that joke earlier. <laughs>
1: I was wondering whether it was yours, but I was going like, thats very, that's too smart no. for you. Yeah, it's too smart. yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. I like because Norm <laughs> McDonald, he would do these incredibly long setup jokes with an incredibly dumb punchline, and there's something <laughs> so abusive about that I know. that joke structure that I find very funny, and there's got to be some death drive in there because he'll just draw it out. So is one about like a moth, a moth going to the doctor and trying to saying how depressed he is. and then, at the end, the doctor's like, well, you, you know, why are you here? Like, this is clearly, I'm a doctor. You need a, a psychologist. And the moth says, well, because the light was on.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, that was, I've heard that one. Yeah, because yeah. what is it, that that documentary about the aristocrats? Isn't it that joke? And do you know about this documentary? Mm-hmm. So supposedly, and I don't know if this is all kind of, kind of partly made up or not, but there's this joke that's been around for a long time, and it's called the aristocrats. And it's a joke in which you kind of think of you can tell it in lots of different ways, but the punchline is always I think it's like we're aristocrats and it's not a good joke in a sense. The punchline is boring, but it's all about creating a very extravagant, over the top, overly long setup. And supposedly a lot of comedians love this joke it's their favorite joke the aristocrats oh, and they, they figure out different ways of telling it but it's exactly like that joke you told it's like it's overly long setup not a great <laughs> punchline and anyone who's not a comedian i think would be like what what the hell is this about but comedians love it you know just like it's, you yeah. know you're telling like you love that as a comedian because you you see the art of it the weirdness the absurdity of
0: it <laughs> and the, the tension of just just digging into it and that especially that kind of thing on um i think Mulaney's talked about it but that thing on stage of the longer the setup is it takes a certain like amount of energy to hold it to just be like i'm going to trust that the audience is paying attention to this stupid thing because i have a stupid punchline behind my back that i'm waiting to like bust out at the right time and if you can nail it it is really fun but um incredibly hard to i think get people on board with most of the time because they're not good jokes it's like the joke is the the joke is the fact that they're even telling the joke it's great
1: yes yeah the joke is that the joke is it's not that funny but it's a comedian with the balls to do it and it becomes funny Uh, well who who was it that comedian from america who he got to that stage where he would do stuff like that and then even just got on stage and read uh from a steve martin no it wasn't steve it was i think it was a guy in taxi driver or or tax it was there there was a comedy Series Kaufman? called Taxi, Kaufman, and, yeah, Andrew Kaufman. Kaufman, yeah. He would do. He did some very yeah. bizarre things.
0: Yeah, he's still alive too. A lot of people don't know that. Is that right? He's still out there? No, he's that's <laughs> a, that is a um that's a hoax. That's a or a uh, conspiracy <laughs> theory. I believe. All
1: right, like Elvis. Yeah, I was like, what? No, I... <laughs> have you seen? Have uh, you seen well, the, film, the, the
0: killer? There. By the way, yeah. Um, so I was gonna ask you, but I figured I was gonna um. I heard it was a little slow. And I uh, was going to watch it, but it's not exactly mood-wise what where our household is at at the moment. But I do want to watch mm. it because I heard it's great. Do you like it? Did you see it? Yeah, no, it was
1: great. And I watched it before I heard it was slow, um, and I didn't. Yeah, it, it, it's obviously slow in relation to, like, John Wick or something like that. But it's it's beautifully shot, and it's it's about this. One, I, I, one of the reasons why I thought of it actually was because there's a joke that... Um, that woman tells the really interesting looking woman. Uh, I forget her name. You would know her to see. She's um very, yeah. very distinctive looking. But she tells this joke in the movie. And it's kind of like a uh, quite a long joke, but it's very, very smart. Um, But the movie is very interesting because it's kind of about death drive. Um, in fact, the joke that she tells, in a nutshell, I, I won't tell it because I would not want to ruin it for people if people are going to okay. see it. But the thing about the film... Is that it's kind of about these, well, this one assassin in particular, but then you get to know at least another one or two uh, who think that they're doing it for the money, right? They think they're, you know, you're an assassin, there's good money in it, that's why you do it. And then you start to realize that, no, they've made all the money they need, and there's something just purely in the destructive act itself that drives them.
0: Yeah, it's um to use a, a a not as recent example that's like the Walter White arc in Breaking Bad of him just going like I loved it like I got to a point where I enjoyed being the drug kingpin or whatever even though he had all the money he could ever need for the rest of his life and that's when you see him just like totally lose it.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the that's drive. I mean, we I think we talked about it in last week's episode where when Marx said that we can move from We make a commodity to get money to buy another commodity, right? That's completely normal. That's a level of consciousness. I want to buy a piece of art because I like it. I want to buy some food. I want to buy some clothes. That's completely natural, completely normal. And then Mark says that you can, without realizing it, you start to kind of get money so that you can get a commodity so that you can make more money. And then, without realising it, you start to get more enjoyment out of the accumulation of money than what money can buy. And at that point, you've gone from desire to drive. Uh, yeah. And that's why Shizek says Marx was the inventor of drive. I think Lacan might have said it, but because like Marx, in one sense, said that what what you see in capitalism is that we can get caught up with the abstract accumulation of capital beyond what it can buy. Uh, and at that stage we're weirdly uh not acting in our own s- selfishness it's it's a, we're kind of selfless in a very bizarre way
0: yeah yeah i feel like the death drive you can really see that in the whole capital capitalism system right yeah. i mean the whole idea is like just just give me more i need more i need more and, and then yeah it's like a you know pop like exploding yourself basically yeah. like i'm going to just keep going there's nothing that can stop it but um which, yes, which I mean,
1: example. yeah, and and like one of the reasons why Mark said that capitalism kind of arose is because before industrialization, capitalism wasn't possible. You, if you were making widgets, you couldn't make that many. If you were making coats. Like there's only so many coats you could make. And even if you had a couple of people working with you, there was only a certain amount of coats you could make. So you couldn't really get into this abstract accumulation. But once you got a production line and you got 30 people making a coat and each one doing a tiny bit, suddenly those 30 people could make thousands of coats. And so in, in a sense, the change in technology unleashed uh, a dimension of drive in the economy. And so in one sense, this is what someone like Todd McGowan would argue is that capitalism is very effective because it connects not with our selfishness. This is, which is what apologists for capitalism usually say is capitalism latches onto our desire and our selfishness. But someone like Todd McGowan and ex says, well, no, it latches onto our death drive. <laughs> it latches onto our drive, not our desire. Um, and that's why it's effective because because there's a part of us that wants destruction.
0: Um, Lovely. just It just makes you feel warm inside to <laughs> talk about. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Um, the uh, other show I have to... Uh, oh, my therapist is texting me, which is always terrifying. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah. The other show to recommend to you, Pete, um, that is, I believe, on Paramount? Us, maybe it's The Curse. Have you seen The Curse? No, it's HBO.
1: No, never even heard of it.
0: The Curse, Pete. I don't want to spoil it for folks. It is incredibly uncomfortable to watch, but it's starring Nathan Fielder. Are you familiar with Nathan Fielder? The genius Nathan Fielder, the that incomparable it, Nathan yeah. Fielder. He does Nathan for You as yes. well as yes, yes. insane yes, person, yes. absolute uh-huh. gift to the world. Uh, I think you put star- me on to him or yeah or he's gold uh he is in a show with um the she has red hair it is emma stone and benny safety who is like an a24 guy did a bunch of stuff he did uh uncut gems he was the director of that oh, he also that starred great, in. Maybe. yeah the other a24 movie with um robert pattinson which is really good but he's really he's also an oppenheimer but they the three of them play a um a, a production and cast of an HGTV show in a um, you know struggling neighborhood, and there is a curse put on them. But uh, throughout, they they're trying to sell themselves as these saviors to this you know neighborhood, um, and it and then antics ensue. But there's a certain part of it that I feel like you would really find interesting from a Freudian perspective even if it's a little on the nose and it has to do with um the size of um some of Nathan fielder's situations and <laughs> i don't want to spoil it but you should definitely check it out we'll we'll talk about it next week
1: yeah uh, i've only seen one episode
0: that. it it made me feel incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> and i was like oh i see that this is one of those something. shows yeah yeah um yeah there must be uh, anyway i don't know why i'm just remember that i need to watch it um uh, my, sorry get away from me gary um gary Penbook book available now what, what uh want? what else do you have what, what was he, he looking wants to for? confirm what time we're meeting as if it's not the same time um every week and he uh he forgets quite frequently which is one of my favorite things and we always joke that he's just gonna i'm gonna show up and he's gonna have cocaine just pouring out of his nose at some point <laughs> hasn't happened yet but uh yeah. anyway back to death drive anything else mm-hmm. on this i mean i love the uh the the topic and it is you know it's you're, you're dropping a lot of gold here pete so if there's oh. anything else <laughs>
1: um no i mean just that like the interesting thing is like the death drive as it as it layers up to from entropy to death drive pleasure principle reality principle all of these don't fit quite neatly together they cause this tension this frustration and then we directly enjoy the tension and the frustration and this is jouissance jouissance is pleasurable pain and that's this i guess all of this that we're saying is a great way of understanding this french word jouissance that's used in uh, particularly french psychoanalysis which describes a pleasurable pain also has a sexual dimension to it jouissance is a sexual word um that that this kind of almost helps us understand why we can get pleasure out of our suffering that we enjoy doom scrolling we can enjoy thinking about suicide um as as um shirin uh this really interesting emile shirin philosopher who said why kill yourself and rob yourself of the enjoyment you can get from thinking about killing yourself. And uh, so it's just Merry very... Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's this enjoyment that, and, but we don't, we aren't really aware of it. Like, so it's kind of like you can see it in someone's face uh, when they're enjoying their suffering, when they're listening to depressing music and they're, they're suffering, but there's something that's pleasurable in that. Um, this, this, theory of death drive can ultimately help us understand this notion of choice. And if this is correct, and I say, this is the most radical form of a psychoanalysis is and someone like there's a, there's a woman called Julie Rich who I'm going to be talking to hopefully in a few weeks. She's in Ireland at the moment. She does the thing called negative psychoanalysis where she, she basically is fascinated by purely a death drive. So she, for her therapy at its best is not therapeutic. It's not trying to make you feel better. It's not trying to get you to, to feel less depressed or less suffering or anything like that. All, all it does is when you're depressed and when you're suffering, is it tells you that you are experiencing the deepest form of truth. Yeah. Um, but there's something interestingly therapeutic about that is that Beautiful. whenever. yeah, and
0: all yeah. you know, growth proceeds through uh, suffering. Suffering is what opens you up to the whole your capacity for for depth as a person
1: yes absolutely although julie would then say she would she she would even say that ah, but you're making it too economic she she wants to say which is quite she'll want to go like it i'd say why? I'd
0: say, i didn't invite you to my home why are you here julie
1: <laughs> that's true that's a good response <laughs>
0: you know what lack i'd like julie for you to leave
1: <laughs> yeah i know she might be quite depressed on a christmas day
0: you know <laughs> yeah um uh, that's very sweet uh I, well I, that's the kind of um my dream my retirement plan is to do life coaching but my job is not going to be to improve your life because a um not a that will separate me from so many other life coaches but b uh mm-hmm. it seems more fun to just be like you need to get you need to mess some stuff up go mess up a little bit That's yes my advice to yeah most people
1: yeah, I mean, you know that's the analytic side of you, because like in in a way for me, the the best type of analysis is kind of saying sadly, there is no healthy. like there is no there is no beyond. there is a beyond the pleasure principle. That's why Freud called that that. He says, there's the pleasure principle, and then there's a beyond of the pleasure principle, that's the death drive, but there's no beyond of the death drive. Uh, I mean, in a sense that's the sexual drive, the sexual drive is to directly enjoy excitation and struggle and frustration and to turn it into something beautiful, you know, potentially you make art out of it. Potentially you write from it, potentially you have a great interesting relationship from it. But, um, but in a, in a way, uh, there's no escaping, um, a kind of lack that is, that is infused into everything. Um, and uh, yeah, but that's eternal life for for says because that's the that's the that's the dimension that's the eternal dimension the antagonism is is what's in everything so when we directly embrace it we kind of in a sense directly embrace the essence of everything
0: nice yeah um i like the term economic that you're using because i i do get a little exhausted with the like this is happening, but in exchange for your suffering, you will get this. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, there's going to be like the, the it's going to be always a little something. It's not never going to be a one for one, uh like trade-off. Maybe you feel you get something, but you know, that's at least in yes. my experience with this stuff. Yeah, um, that's it, and I was going to say
1: on, on that, because uh, I remember when I was young, my sister at, at Easter, I would get an Easter egg and I'd eat it immediately. And she would take a little bite, and then she'd put her Easter egg in the fridge. And she would make her Easter egg last for weeks. And of course, I was like the idiot child who took the one marshmallow straight away. And then she was enjoying privation. You know, she was enjoying not having yeah. an Easter egg, thinking about it, and going to it. But even that, so that's great because that's that's level one. That's actually where you're enjoying. The, the privation helps you enjoy the Easter egg more. That's completely normal. That's still at the level of desire. You know you've hit drive whenever you desire the not eating itself. So anorexia is drive, really yeah. Um yeah, So you know, sense. so yeah, so and so d- drive is not good or bad. As in drive, it manifests in kind of what what we might want to call productive or unproductive ways. So anorexia is one of the destructive ways that. Drive mm-hmm. manifests itself because it's a direct enjoyment of not eating. It's a direct, not, and it's a suffering, it's a jouissance because it's it's not pleasurable, yeah. it's painful, but you're getting something out of it. But what you're getting out of it is not that you're postponing eating, you're actually eating nothingness itself.
0: I mean, that's what, dude, a lot of this like stuff I was looking at with these, these sup bros who they do this biohacking stuff and like they, <laughs> I was reading these posts, I was like, whoa, it's like stumbling upon a world that I kind of had heard about. But reading the sincerity of these people being like testing themselves, taking their blood constantly, looking at the levels, uploading their data, here's my like, you know, data, here's my spreadsheets for the past months of, of what I've taken down to the calorie of what I've, it's like, no, this is an obsessive, like, this is, it's not about the results you're getting, it's about the process of doing the experiment. But a little part of me is also like, seems kind of fun still. Like I like, it's, it, you know, what, I wonder what I, you know, what my glucose or whatever. And I was like, that's a, you know, it's, it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating yes. what these people do now. Question for you, Pete, and this is to get back to your book, uh, is what you, the connection you're making from what, your take on this. Cause I haven't, I I'm assuming this is your original stuff. You're compiling these things in the in framing it within the there is a cellular level an inorganic thing a cellular thing a self-conscious thing a self-reflective like that and so you're you're taking Lacan and and applying it to essentially all like almost an ontology
1: Mm -hmm. yes yes yeah so I'm doing all and and what I want to do with this is um you know I, I want to try to convince the reader that this antagonism and this this lack this impossibility is infused into everything and then i want to name that impossibility i want to give it a name i want to say that we have to signify that impossibility and create rituals around that impossibility and you know potentially name that impossibility Trade market. god yes Copyright. Uh, unfortunately god is not this i uh, can't trademark that word i don't think <laughs> that's
0: true yeah um not yet but uh i like that all right any uh any other closing any other sort of odds and ends that you want no
1: this was very fun for me because i was literally writing about this today and i wanted to kind of put this to you and to the listener to see if it made sense. So, did you? Did oh, it make sense? No, I, to would, you? Have,
0: nah, I would abandon it immediately. Like, <laughs> okay, that's good. I wouldn't, honestly, dude, I wouldn't bring this up to anybody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I tough. appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Was, I mean, I, like it's cute. It is cute. No, it was the cute matches with it. I think it's great, dude. I honestly love it. I think it's so fascinating. I think it's excellent. I don't know what people will think about it, but I really like it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, all of that is like taken from you know Freud and Lacan, but I'm putting it, I'm trying to kind of understand it in my own way, and yeah. I, the idea of inorganic, organic, you know, conscious of self, conscious. I'm trying to put it, I'm trying to make it easily understandable. Because whenever you say death drive, as you said, you know, like, well, one is sometimes people can intuitively get it if you say, well, sometimes we do destructive things, but also what makes it so impossible to grasp is. That at a conscious level, we do want the best. So our consciousness is always really at the level of the pleasure principle. Even if someone wants to take their own life, often consciously, they're thinking the world would be better without me. Uh, you know, I, my, my kids would be better off if I wasn't around. Except. So consciously, there's always an economic reason even for that so it's very hard for us to to go oh there's a dimension of me that wants destruction without return um but but we need to theorize that because that's where all the good stuff is because that's where sacrifice comes from that's where all of the best and the worst of humanity arises
0: I love that my examples are like sometimes weights are too heavy and yours <laughs> are like suicide and anorexia are uh, <laughs> where we're going to be going with this. It's very good. Um, I think Have it's you all right. Takeaways? Um...
1: There you go.
0: Nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really I mean I, I it's it's so uh here's my takeaway. I hope you come up with a diagram for this yeah. because this is something that um a you can trademark diagrams, you can copyright diagrams. I don't know the difference mm-hmm. between those two things, apparently, but yeah. you can if you have a diagram, um it can be marketing-wise something that's really good for you. And people are can be visual learners, so you can come up with a fun pyramid like maslow's hierarchy of needs except it'll be lacan's hierarchy of lack
1: i i actually i talked to an accountant recently because sadly the accountant i was using was ill and wasn't able to do to help me with my accounts and so i got a new guy who's really great helped me out but he wants me to talk to a lawyer cuz he wants me to to uh, copyright my ideas but okay. i think that's quite funny because i that's not I'm not going to do that, but it, but it's funny that he he brought this up. I was like, that's it's a very American. I actually
0: own that idea. That idea <laughs> yeah. is mine.
1: Yeah, you go like, oh, I've stolen everything from yeah. other people.
0: You know, <laughs> it's what we do. It's uh, it's the it's the that's the job. All right,
1: man, you're going to make me go back to weights by the way and work a night because I'm so unfit at the moment. So if you're going back right. to that, I'm going to I'm going to have to try and sort it's... myself
0: out. It's not fun, but it is. I I do it so I can talk about it on a podcast. That's it. It's the only way yeah, you know. I can do any kind of healthy thing. But um, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Fundamentalists. I hope you enjoyed this talk about death drive, and I hope it's gotten you in the spirit. Next time you're <laughs> feeling good about something, just don't. And thank you to Pete for bringing in <laughs> this new material of his. Uh, head over to Patreon.com/slash/TheFundamentalists if you really want to know or exercise your death drive. And if there's anything else besides that, let me know, Pete. But if not, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.